Gospel reading for this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, beginning in the 15th chapter, starting at the first verse, and just an editorial comment. Um, I don't know why the lectionary does this sometimes, but we chop things up. And I hope you'll bear with me, but as I worked on this this morning, well, not this morning, although that's part of it, um, I realized that what's chopped out really is an important feeder to the story we're going to be talking about. So if you'll just bear with me, I'd like to read the whole thing. And it goes like this. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. And the Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered this story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? And when found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you got home, calling your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me, I've found my lost sheep. Count on it, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Or imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors, celebrate with me. I've found my lost coin, count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. And then he said, there was once a man who had two sons, and the younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them, and it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. And there, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything that he had. And after he'd gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to hurt. And he signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. And that brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. And he got right up and went home to his father. And when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son started his speech, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time his older son was out in the field. And when the day's work was done, he came in, and as he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on, and he told him, your brother came home, 
Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he has him home safe and sound. And the older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. And his father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. And the son said, look, how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who's thrown away your money on whores shows up, and you go all out with a feast. His father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time, and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time, and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost. He's found. That's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? O Lord, may your blessing rest on each one. May we know your care, provision, peace, guidance, and your goodness. May we always be firm in our commitment to you and to one another. And bless all our hands together to change the world. All our hands together to till the land. All our hands together to pull up weeds. All our hands together to share our joy. Open our ears, our minds, and our hearts this day. Amen. Now today's story, or stories, are about being lost and then found. And the prodigal story comes at the tail end of a trio of stories with the common theme of lostness. There's the story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And in each of these parables, something is lost, which gets the action in motion. Now the word lost comes from the Old Norse word loss, meaning the disbanding of an army. And this origin suggests soldiers falling, falling out of formation to go home. A truce with the world. I ask you this morning, do you suppose that we ever totally disband our own armies and dare to go beyond that which we are certain that we know? So I think lost, as we hear it today, really has two different kinds of meanings that affect our time together this morning. Losing things is about the familiar falling away. Getting lost is about the unfamiliar appearing. There are objects and people that disappear from your sight or your knowledge or your possession. You lost a bracelet, a friend, a key, a sheep, a coin. You still know where you are. Everything is familiar to you except that there is one item less, one missing person, one missing element. Or you get lost, in which case the world has become bigger than your knowledge of it. And in both cases, there's a loss of control, and if we are honest, 
that always presents problems. I think every one of us here has known what it feels like to be lost, that scary, confusing feeling that takes hold of your heart and just squeezes it hard. And for some of us, it's a feeling that we only encounter occasionally when we're trying to find our way on the streets of an unknown city or trying to remember where we parked the car. But for a good many people, feeling lost is a much more permanent condition. And trying not to look lost has become the central focus of their existence. Now, I think the remarkable thing about these stories is that this lost portion is told gently and without accusation. Certainly that's true about the first two stories about a sheep lost, a coin lost, probably wandering in some thicket or dropped unnoticed, we might suppose. But even in our story for today, the younger son's story is told with some sympathy. I think that Jesus doesn't linger over his decision to take his inheritance and leave. That portion of the story is told with no more detail or urgency than the rest of the story. All of this invites us, I think, to wonder in a different way what it means to be lost and maybe to consider that lostness is not always some horrible, willful disconnect. Instead, maybe we're being encouraged to see lostness as a part of the normal course of life. Another common theme of these stories is finding. The sheep, the coin, the sun, each is found. You may even wonder with me why we stress the negative rather than the positive when we refer to these tales. It could be the parable of the found sheep the found coin, the returning son. There's a great deal of value placed on the finding. The father says this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, now he's found. Not all people can find their way out of their lostness without love and support. But these stories of Jesus offer the chance for the church to act, perhaps, as a lost and found. It is the mission of the church, I really believe this, to open its doors to all the lost souls in this life. But I think we're becoming increasingly aware that just opening our doors is not enough. We must be willing to go out on the sidewalk proclaiming the promise of forgiveness and extending hospitality and welcome and acceptance. Because, folks, it is true that there is no one you can save who can't be saved. And then I think we need to remember that all three of these parables end in a celebration. The sheep was lost, then found. The shepherds delighted. A coin is lost and then found. And the woman was ecstatic. A young man was lost and found. And here's the rub. I don't think it was his return that ticked off the older brother. 
I think it was the party. Let him come back. If he's learned his lesson, let him come on back. Let him show his sorrow, prove himself, so to speak. And in time, do you think it was the return that was so hard for the older brother to take? Or was it really the music and the dancing and the feast? Think about this. I really think it was the joy that pushed him over the edge. It's not the finding that offends, but the joy. These stories work, I think, because we often place ourselves inside of them. We've probably been somewhat prodigal at times in our life, whether you want to admit it or not. But most often, I want to guess that we probably identify with the older brother. The one that does what he's supposed to do, who respects his father, does what he's asked. We really do know what it is to put our backs up against that joy. But perhaps we're missing something really good when we pit the brothers against each other. Maybe we only need to look at the interactions each has with their father. He loves both of his sons. Actually, he loves both of his sons when they need it the most, when they are the most unlovable. It would not be that hard to love the younger son at the end of the parable when he returns full of remorse and shame. But the father loves him at the beginning of the story as well, when his eye is only on money and fast living and when he's headed out the door. And we also see that the father loves the eldest, not only at the beginning when he's obedient and loyal, but he also loves him at the end when he displays his bitterness. So maybe, just maybe, in the end, faith is less about the identification of evil and more about the celebration of goodness, the proclamation of forgiveness, the affirmation of life. And perhaps there will be no true celebration, no ecstatic expressions of joy until we are able to be happy not only in the grace and love and life that blesses us, but also to be happy, truly happy, about the grace and love and life that blesses our brothers and sisters whether our siblings are repentant or unrepentant sinners, whether we are religious or too religious for our own good or not religious at all, God's gift is always love. God's gift is always life. And our mission, should we choose to accept it, is simply to say to each lost traveler, whether that traveler's lost in making a living lost in a community's abandonment, lost in addiction, lost in loneliness or self-absorption, whatever the lostness, just say, come home. Come home. Come home.
Come home to Jesus. Amen. Oh,